Welcome to the Orchard. We are so glad you are with us, whether you are here in the house, whether you are joining us from the jungles of Vanuatu, Pakistan, any of those places where we have uh, churches joining us this morning. We are so glad. Even if you're in a podcast in a car later this week, welcome. We're glad you're here. It is the last Sunday before Christmas Eve services. Christmas is here. I, I saw on social media there was a family that just got their tree yesterday. Are you kidding me? Does anybody not have a Christmas tree yet? We do have ushers. Okay. Yes. It is Christmas in an orchard. Let me just, before we get into some of this, I'm so proud of you. You know, two weeks ago, we did our first ever offering, reverse offering, and handed out $50,000 in gift cards to the city market. And you've taken them, and you have given them far and wide, and I have stories just pouring in as we have, as God has led you to help people with tangible needs. I heard that there was someone from another church here a couple weeks ago, and he thought it was such a great idea. He took it and got $1,000 for his own small group, and then that grew to another one. And so it's catching on and catching fire, and, and my hope and my prayer is that we, God, God's people, we take him at his word and we love God and we love people in word and in deed, not just in these walls, but we take it outside and with our own lives, we step out in boldness and we say, we love you and God loves you. Amen. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of us as a church. Well done. And here we are with Christmas. Man, I love Christmas. Did you ever think about what did Jesus celebrate during Christmas? His birthday, right? He celebrated his birthday. Did you know that Jesus would have celebrated every year something called the Festival of Dedication? And actually, the Festival of Dedication begins today. December 18th is still, this is the modern day of this ancient festival. And I want us today to turn to John 10, because we're going to look at what Jesus would do during the Christmas season. Well, how did he celebrate? And here's here's why. is because all these ancient festivals, all these things, we always want to see what they say about the past and what they mean for us in the present and what it means for us in the future. Even these ancient holy days. So in in John 10, we're going to see how Jesus would have celebrated. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. There we have a, a person, we have the place, we have the reason. It's Jesus. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple, and he's there to participate in this festival of dedication. And church, you know me. And you know I love the Old Testament. I love going deep in the Old Testament, finding those nuggets and digging them up and then, and then bringing them out and what it means for the New Testament. And so I want you to turn this morning deep in the Old Testament to the book of Hezekiah. There's only one problem. There is no book of Hezekiah. And there's no mention of the festival of dedication in the Old Testament. In fact, John, our author here, is the only mention of it in the Bible. That's right. And so what are we do? What, what's, what's going on here? What, what, what is happening that Jesus is at this festival? And what does it say about him? And what does it tell us about him today? It, it makes me wonder. You know, he took the time to travel to Jerusalem for this festival. And oftentimes we find him um, going to Jerusalem for, for all the major holidays and festivals. And this one's no different. And so let's look at this festival. If you will just give me a second to do some teaching before I get back into some preaching. Is that Okay. Give you a little history. Okay, here we go. Um, This festival is also known as the Festival of Lights. 
And to find out about it, we have to look back in antiquity. A historian named Josephus and also these two books called the Maccabees. They both tell of a very painful time in the Hebrew culture, Hebrew nation, before Jesus came. Now, previously, Alexander the Great had come and conquered the known world. And at his passing, it was said that his generals each picked up a crown and decided to rule. And that's what happens here. A very shrewd leader grabbed power. His name was Antiochus IV. You've all heard of him. He was, that was his name given after he ascended to power of the Seleucid throne on September 3rd, 174 BC. Now, he would later add another title to his name. Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, the name Epiphanes means God manifest. I would love to be able to give myself names. Can you imagine that? He gave himself this name, Epiphanes, God manifest, and he was ruling the Seleucid dynasty. And there's actually coins from, from this era. And just this week, in a, not this week, I just read the article this week about a new jar they found in a cave with 15 of these coins from this period. Here's an example of one of Antiochus's coins. And, and you scholars can read the right side right there, but I'll tell you the rest of you what it actually says. He decided that his coins should say, King Antiochus, God manifest, bearer of victory. I mean, again, if we're picking our own titles, could you imagine that business card? Jimmy, plumber, God manifest, bearer of clean pipes. Victoria, multi-level marketer, God manifest, bearer of essential oils. Like, like if we, we, don't, we, don't have, we can't do really what he does, but this guy was all in on himself. Now, here's, what, here's the problem. When you declare yourself God manifest, oftentimes you don't like it too much when people are worshiping other gods because I just said that I was God. And so all these people he's conquered, he began to say, you can't worship that way anymore because I don't know if you know this, I'm God manifest, Antiochus Epiphanes. And here's where it gets hard for the Hebrew nation. He demanded that his entire kingdom would become more Greek, with Greek culture, Greek customs, and Greek idols. Antiochus outlawed Hebrew customs. He, he outlawed Old Testament commands and rituals. He burned every copy of the Torah he could find. He banned the worship of Yahweh, God, in the temple there in Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish temple is a sacred place designed by God where his presence would reside amongst his people. In the temple, it was a holy place. And as you got closer and closer, it got more sacred. And on the inside was the holy of holies, the most sacred place. This is where they worshiped God. There were strict rules on how it should be treated, who can enter, and how they enter, and it should not be desecrated. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes, God manifest, wanted to make a point, an example, and so he traveled to Jerusalem, and there he entered the outer courts of the temple, already desecrating it, but he wasn't done yet. He wanted to squash this religion. He wanted to end this religion and erase it from the history books and so he walked inside the Hebrew temple, and he had pagan idols placed at certain places where the menorah had been and where the showbread had been, and the places where there were sacred items. He put idols, but he wasn't done. Finally, he went to the altar of sacrifice, where the Hebrew rabbis would sacrifice a lamb for the forgiveness of the people. And there, Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a sow on that altar. 
The pig was ritually unclean for the Hebrew people. And placing that, that sow on the altar of God and sacrificing it was complete and utter desecration. Crushing their tradition. Crushing their faith. Crushing their hope. As everything had been ruined at that moment. And there on the grounds of the Hebrew temple, Antiochus presented himself as Antiochus Epiphanes. Standing there on those grounds, he said, I am divine. I am God manifest. God and I are one and the same in the very temple. Now, it was during this time of ruin that a small band of Hebrew people decided to take back their temple, if they could. Judah Maccabee and his brothers and countrymen began to wage guerrilla warfare upon the larger armies of the Seleucids. And the Maccabean army began to rack up some victories. And finally, in a hot battle, they liberated Jerusalem, taking it back. Judah knew the importance of the temple. And in fact, on December 14th, 164 BC, he and the priests and the people began to cleanse the temple, to clear the temple, to take the idols out, to to, to clean it, to, to purify it. They wanted to reinstate the rituals and, and cleanse the altar and begin to const- do you know, religious ceremonies once again. Their identity, their God, their temple. The only problem is, is that the menorah inside the temple that always burned with a special oil as described by God, it only had enough oil to burn for one day. But it was supposed to burn continually. It couldn't burn just any oil. It had to have this recipe that God had given them, and it took seven days to complete. They had one day's worth. But in faith, Judah decided to light the menorah, trusting God. And the story goes that the menorah burned for one day, and then two days. And then it burned bright for eight days before the priest would have been able to make a new portion of the oil. Eight days of miraculous light. And the temple, God's place of worship, had been freed. It had been purified. And, and, and to commemorate and this amazing day, this miracle of light, to commemorate this purification of the temple, a festival was created for the entire nation, the festival of dedication. Because they had dedicated the temple to God once again after what Antiochus Epiphanes had done. And that's where we find Jesus in John 10. I wanted to give you that context because it will inform you of why all the conversation we're going to read happens and what it means. You see, in Jerusalem, Jesus is there inside the very, those same temple grounds. He's there on the festival of dedication during this time. Now, you know this festival by a different name, perhaps, Hanukkah, the festival of lights, where they light a menorah starting tonight. They light a menorah for eight days. Hanukkah is looking back upon the miracles that God had done during that time. That he gave enough oil for there to be eight nights of a menorah burning. But just like with most of the holy and holidays, they they, they don't only look back, they look forward. What God did then, he will do once again with the Messiah. Now, some interesting things about this. Those of you who who like to count, you already know that there's not eight up here. There's nine. So so what, what are we doing here? The ninth candle sits in the middle. It sits higher than the rest, and this is called the shamash candle. Everyone say shamash. You're not, you're Hebrew scholars now. 
shamash. It sits in the middle. They call it, it's the servant candle. And each night it is used, the servant candle is used to light the remaining candles. The shamash, the highest of the candles, comes down from its special place and lights the remainders. Everyone sat in rapt attention. It worked. The shamash leaves its special position and comes down and lights the other candles, which represent the shamash candle, the coming of the Messiah, the Messiah candle that will come and give light to all things. You see, Hanukkah looks back at the Maccabees and what God did as a miracle then, but just like most of the holy days, it looks forward to the Messiah who will come and do something once again, something wonderful for all of us. You see, the Jewish idea of the Messiah during Jesus' day. Remember, how, how was it during Jesus' day? They were once again under the thumb, under the rule of a corrupt government. The Romans controlled them. The Romans ruled over them. And so they looked for a Messiah who would look like the Messiah earlier, Judah Maccabee. He came and he saved us. But the Messiah, the chosen one, the one the Old Testament talks about, he will come and throw off the Roman rule, throw off political and military power. He will be a political and military leader who will lead us to freedom, much like King David, much like Judah Maccabee. All throughout the New Testament, we see these people looking for somebody who will throw off the yoke of the corrupt government and take the nation back for God. And it's in this, con- it's in this I need you to know, this context that we turn to John 10 and see how Jesus responds and why they're asking him what they're asking him. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him. How long will you keep us in suspense, they asked. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, during the celebration of the festival of dedication, liberation is fresh on their mind. Judah Maccabee is fresh on their mind, this military and political Messiah. And they're like, tell us straight. Is it you? Are you the one? Are you going to rise up? Are you going to to take things back? Or are you going to to throw off the rule of the the government and and lead us to, to freedom again? Are you the one? Enough of these parables. Enough of these miracles and these sermons. Tell us plainly, are you the one to do what we want you to do? Now, You see, they were looking for a Messiah who fit into their agenda, to fit in the image that they wanted and they desired. And you can say, oh, how could they do that? But this is where we hold up a mirror for each of us in our culture, because we as humans often want God to be fit in an image that we like most. And how often have you heard, you know, I just can't believe that because a loving God would never do that. Even though it's in God's word, I just can't ever believe that a God would do that. And we pick and we choose, I want a little bit of this, but I don't want that. And we begin to make a God or a Jesus in the image and the agenda that we like. We're guilty of this. We want Jesus. We want God to look like we want him to look. You see, see so often we, we assume Jesus votes like us, looks like us, and, and endorses all of our agendas and biases. And Lamont says this, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. The people of Jesus' time were looking to follow a Messiah that looked like they wanted him to, that would lead them to the future they desired. It's a good moment to pause and consider, am I following the Jesus 
of the Bible? Or am I following a version of Jesus that I have constructed on my own? At the orchard, we say, so often we keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. Above all things, above all our personal agendas, above every single political leaning, above, above every social pressure, above every cultural current, for the orchard, it should be Jesus above all things and everything. Instead of asking Jesus to endorse those things with us, we, as the orchard, we put him above all things. As a church, we are pursuing to, to know and grow and follow the real authentic Jesus that we find in God's word. A Jesus who didn't avoid sinful people, but met them in their brokenness. Now, he didn't endorse their sin, but he didn't avoid the sinner. We see a Jesus who pursued, but we pursue a Jesus who didn't participate in the political or social polarization of his time that pit everyone against each other. And instead, he said to love your enemy and pray for them. We pursue a Jesus that died for all people, even the ones who spat on him. He didn't let political agendas hijack his mission. He didn't let religious duty and judgment hijack his movement. He would courageously stand against the culture and do what was right and holy, despite what they said was okay. The Jesus we find in the Bible... The Jesus we find when we strip away our personal ambitions and, and what we want to add on to him. It's important that we follow the true Jesus. It's so important. Not a Jesus that we've constructed based on our biases and hopes and desires. And here in John 10, we find that throughout the, the, the life of Jesus, and even in this chapter alone, there are so many who missed out on the life Jesus offered because he did not look or act or speak the way that they thought he should. He did not endorse the things that they wanted him to. And so often in our culture and in, our, in, in us, we, are, we can miss out on what God wants for us. Because Jesus is asking us to move in such a way that doesn't endorse maybe our personal opinions or agendas. Here's the hard part. Orchard, may we be the people who are bold enough to adjust our agendas to heaven's agenda. To, to not expect God to endorse my biases and how I want and wish you would act, but to instead, through knowing God, move my heart to endorse heaven's agenda. Loving God, loving people, no asterisks, and illuminating Jesus wherever we go. May we be those people. Verse 24, those gathered around him said, how long will you keep us in suspense are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. And Jesus said, listen, I did tell you, but you didn't believe me. And then I did miracles. The works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me too. He's like, I, I told you and I showed you. In fact, Jesus, you know, he did so many miracles in this culture. In this culture. He did miracles that they said were only the Messiah could do. They're called messianic miracles. Only the Messiah could do these. He did each one of them. He's like, listen, I did it. I, I, I did everything that you guys thought I needed to do. Yeah, he's told them he's the Messiah. He's shown them he's the Messiah, but they still didn't believe him. But you must now see that in context of Hanukkah, now with that context we've been given, 
Their desire is not that Jesus just be this person who's loving and doing miracles and pointing to the kingdom of heaven. What do they want? They want a Judah Maccabee who will throw off the corrupt government. What they're asking Jesus to do now holds more contextual weight. We see what they're wanting. Are you the one? The future Messiah and the miracles, those are a huge part of a Hanukkah celebration. The time of looking back at all that was done, but we're also looking forward. In fact, even within Hanukkah, there's some prayers and there's some blessings and traditions. Here's a few of them. There's a blessing they would recite. It says this, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who performed miracles for our forefathers in those days and now in our time. Like you've done it then, do it again. There's a song they would sing after lighting. We kindle these lights to commemorate the saving acts, the miracles and wonders that you have performed in our forefathers. In those days at that time, your holy priests, your great name and your miracles and your wonders, you bring salvation. What you have done then, we celebrate the miracles and the lighting, but, but we look forward to the Messiah, the one who will come, who will do it again, who will bring salvation, who will bring miracles. We look back and we look forward. That is the topic on everyone's mind Right there in John 10, during this very time that we are in right now, this week, back then in those days. In fact, there's a tradition. Um, the children would play a game. This is a dreidel right here. And the dreidel is a game directly correlated to the Maccabees. It's directly a reminder of what God did at Hanukkah. There's four sides, each with a, each with a Hebrew letter, um, Nun, Gimel, Hei, Shin, and it depends on if you get one in Jerusalem or out of Jerusalem, but the ones that are in Jerusalem, it would say, Hei, Gimel, Hei, Shin, and what that means is, what that translates to is a great miracle was done here. It's referring to, again, the freeing of the people, what Judah Maccabee did. A great miracle was done here at the temple I mean, do you see how they, they created a whole holiday? They have the candles and children's games and songs to commemorate. It's, it's, our, it's like Christmas. We have children's games. We have songs. We have, we, have a tr- we have so many things that remind us of a time that, that our Savior did come, and we look forward to a time when he comes again. No different. That's what they have. Now, the Hebrew sages, they went so far because they were in this holiday that they added up all the letters here, corresponding numbers to the dreidel, and it's 358, which is the same number as the Messiah, and they put all this together to say, even the dreidel, even the, this, this child's toy that they would play with, it, it points back to something, but it also, it points forward to the Messiah. We will see him come again. The dreidel itself, the simple wooden toy, declares a great work was done here at the temple, and a great work will be done again here at the temple. Does, does it make more sense in John 10 while they say, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Are you going to do the miracle of the Maccabees? Are you going to set us free? Tell us plainly. He says, I have told you. I have shown you. 25, Jesus says this. He switches themes. I did tell you, but you did not believe, and the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them from my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than, I, than all. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, now, now we need to unpack this. This is... I can tell all of your minds. I can see in the camera, your minds are blown too, right? In the context of what is happening there at Hanukkah, this is a mind-blowing statement he just makes. 
He says, first of all, I give them eternal life. What human can go around saying, I have followers and I give them eternal life? I mean, how? Who? Jesus said, I'm the source of eternal life right there. Then he goes on, he's not done. And my followers shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. No one will snatch them from my hand, he claims. Did you know that you do not hold your salvation in your heart and your hands? And that's a good thing. You're like, once time at camp, I chose Jesus and I, I hold that salvation dear. You don't hold your salvation. Thank goodness. If you're a follower of Jesus, your salvation is held by Jesus and no one can snatch you from his hands. No one can snatch your salvation from you. No one can, you don't just end up like, fall, ah, I fell out of salvation. No, no, listen, listen, you do not hold um, your salvation in your hands. It's in his hands. And because you don't hold it, your sin can't corrode it. It's held safely in the nailed, scarred hands of Jesus who gave his life so that you would be his. But notice the next verse. We find the same claim with a twist. My father who's given these followers to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hands. So, so Jesus brings the father into it. In verse 28, he says, no one can snatch my followers from my hands. 29, no one can snatch them from my father's hands. Well, whose hands is it that holds you? Whose hands is it that holds salvation? Whose hands is it that holds his followers? The Pharisees and people's, people listening, they would have been tracking on this. They would have been getting incensed or amazed. Jesus is saying things that are absolutely stunning. And the next statement would have just set a bomb off in the crowd. Is it my, it's in my hand and my father's hand? I and the Father are one. The hand of the Father and the hand of Jesus and the miracle of the Trinity. The hand of the Father and the hand of the Son holding his followers in salvation. I and the Father are one. Do you know what Jesus is claiming here? I'm divine. I am God manifest. Now pause. Because you have to see the drama that the people around him would have been in. What did Jesus just claim? I'm God manifest. Where did Jesus make this claim? On the temple grounds. When did Jesus make this claim? Festival of dedication. There's something amazing happening here because Jesus is not the first person to make this claim on this soil. 200 years previously, Antiochus Epiphanes stood in the very same temple and made the very same claim. Antiochus Epiphanes claiming, I am God manifest here in the temple courts. And then 200 years later, we have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, saying, I am God manifest on the temple courts. We would read right past this. But for those present who, are know, what who know the context of what they're celebrating and hearing what he is saying, Jaws would have hit the floor of what he just said and what he just claimed. You see, during the celebration and defeat of a blasphemer who claimed to be God divine, Jesus steps in and says, not only am I Judah Maccabee, not only am I, not only am I any, greater than any Messiah or any Savior or any general or any king, I am the true Messiah. I am God manifest. I am. I and the Father are one. I've heard some people say that, they go, you know, Jesus was just such a great teacher. 
He was such a great teacher. It's his followers who get it all wrong. And, and there's some truth of the last part of that. But they go, they go, he never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be divinity. If anybody ever tells you that, just know they don't know their Bible. Because Jesus claims over and over and over to, to, to be divine. In fact, one of the ways you can know in context that he did is to watch the response of those right after this. He says, I and the Father are one. And again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. That's, they're going to throw rocks at him until he dies. But Jesus said, whoa, whoa, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Which miracle are you going to stone me for? And they said, we're not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Tell me Jesus didn't claim to be divinity. It makes, in the context of this, they know exactly what he's saying. They weren't confused about what Jesus was claiming. Now in the verses to follow, he, they continue to pick up these stones and he escapes. Now Jesus follow, he celebrated this festival of dedication. And, and, the, and the amazing part is, is not only did he, he enter into this holiday that they, um, they, they created, but he fulfilled it. He stands up and says, this is about me. And I fulfill this. All those things that happened in the past and you're hoping that someday someone will come down to give light to those, it's me. It's me. I am the light of the world. Jesus fulfilled all that was required. He was born. He lived. He died. He resurrected. You know, we celebrate Jesus because it's his birth. We look back and say, God did something amazing. Jesus came, and we look forward to say, Jesus will come again. John 10, there were people there who were confused about Jesus' identity. And, and, and some, here's, here's what I want to say. There's three groups of people. There were those who were confused, who were trying to work it out. Are you, are you who you say you are? And they're confused about who he was. And that's still true in today's context. There are many who are confused about Jesus. He, he was just a, a great teacher, or he wasn't even real, or he wasn't this, or, or he is real, but he's one of many. In other words, there's confusion about who Jesus really is. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. And maybe, maybe, like a lot of us, you've constructed a Jesus who fits perfectly into your lifestyle and your agendas, a God who wants to make you happy above all things. I want to encourage you to continue to pursue and investigate the Jesus of the Bible with us next year as we go into some, some new waters to look at who Jesus is and what it means for us. There were others in this John 10 who outright rejected Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with him. And that might be one of you tracking with us today. You're here or you're listening begrudgingly, but you have, you have rejected Jesus. And I, I'm guessing the reason is, is because you've run into some of, Jesus's, some of Jesus' followers. And I'll say this. Don't ascribe the actions of imperfect people unto a perfect God. Man, we are, one thing I, we will always admit about the orchard is we are not a perfect church. We are not a perfect people. Man, we are trying to follow a perfect God as best we can, but we fail. We need his grace. We need his strength. May we never go out there and, and pretend that we have it all together. But if you're here and you have rejected Jesus because of some of his followers, I'm first of all, I'm sorry that happened to you. And I want you to know that, that a perfect God, he is also sorry that happened to you. And I want to challenge you to engage with us as we look at what it means to follow this revolutionary rabbi as an imperfect people, and try to be like him. There's a third group of people, and it says that they followed him. When Jesus left, they followed him. And at the end of John 10:42, it says that many believed, many were saved, many were added to the number. 
And Orchard, here's what I want to end for us because we are headed into a Christmas season. There's no, there's no church next Sunday morning. I want you to have, it's going to be Christmas Day. I want you to have church at home with your families. But for the two nights before that, Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve, 23rd and 24th, we have services here. And Christmas is a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal here at the Orchard. And the reason is this, because we understand that there are people who may be confused about Jesus who are going to come for Christmas. And we want to show them and teach them and reveal to them the glory of who Jesus is. You know, in the past, it's been so fun. Um, the pandemic did its work and all that. But in 2019, I think it was, uh, our Christmas Eve 7 o'clock service was so packed. The, the fire chief was here and he said, if you let one more person in here, like, you better go lock the doors. We were standing room only. You know, we're all having candles, hair, you know, like there's lots of hairspray. Very dangerous. But here's what I know. On Christmas Eve, people make this a part of their Christmas tradition. So Orchard, if you consider yourself an Orchard regular, you're in on this, I'm going to ask you a few favors, okay? You ready for this? First and foremost, park far. Unless you have needs, park far. Let our guests have the, the good parking. Park far and come early. Now, Western Slope, Colorado people, you love, if it's a 10 o'clock service, man, 10.05 is when you know it starts. I'm talking to you. And the person you're elbowing. Park far and come early because the lights will be down. It's not like the normal when you walk in, it's all lit up. Oh no, we're, it's good. lights are gonna be dark. The thing's already going. Get here early, squunch in. And here's the third task is I'm gonna ask you to, to try as best you can to make the 23rd your service. I'm gonna try, if you, if you can, to make 23rd Christmas Eve Eve your service and leave the 24th to our guests, okay? As much as, now I know some of you are bringing guests. Oh, you bring them. You bring as many as you can. And that's, that's, here's where we're going to end. Is you guys have stepped out all last two weeks and you have given life to people. Hey, we love God, love God, and love people. This is an invitation to a different kind of life. I want to get you continue to hand these cards out an invitation to our Christmas Eve. Uh, you can also just use your words or email or if you still mail letters, however you want to do it. I would encourage you to ask all those to come attend and, and hear what God's doing. And here, here, let me give you statistics. I know some of you love that. Um, 70 plus, plus 70% of people who receive a personal invitation to a church will attend if it's from a friend or relationship. And so go ask some people. Ask them to attend. Christmas is a great time to do that. We're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to see what God does. And the last part of Christmas that I want you to do is this, to join me and the staff and the elders to pray that God do something to pray that God moves. You've heard me say it countless times. Micah, you're good, but our band isn't good enough to change anybody's life. I will never preach good enough to change somebody's spirit. Only God can tread those sacred places. And so I'll preach as best I can, and our band will play as best I can. But we all know when we meet here before every service starts, we pray, God, we need you. Will you pray with us throughout this Christmas week? Will you pray with us during the Christmas Eve Eve and Christmas Eve services? Will you pray that God does what only he can do? Because here's what I know. Orchard, God's positioning us for something. He's been arranging things and pulling things into place. The, the generosity project, giving us boldness, bringing people in. He's positioning us for something. And I am just praying, we are praying that God will do something amazing in our Christmas season and into 2023. I want to be that church, as I said last week. I want to be that church that is, is bold enough to take Jesus at his word and say yes to the things of God.
And so step out and as boldly as you would give out a $100 gift card, invite someone to come and receive a gift that is priceless in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled Hanukkah. Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the Old Testament. And Jesus was raised on the cross, died and rose again. And now, raised so high. What do we say here at the orchard? We keep the main thing, the main thing. That's Jesus above everything. God, we thank you so much for your son. Born a baby, announced by angels. <laughs> Shepherds hearing the news, running off the sea. We thank you that, that, that baby Jesus, although defenseless, was safe by your will in his mother's arms. And Jesus grew up in stature and wisdom, guided by the Spirit, sinless, stood on the temple grounds, declaring himself the Messiah, and then was raised up for all people to give his life as a sacrifice. We are thankful for you, God. We are thankful to you, Jesus. And we, right now as a church, we dedicate to you this coming week that you would do the work you need to do in our communities and inside of us so that Christmas means more than presents. It means that there are those out there who will receive the presence of God in their spirit for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Orchard, let's worship this God who is so good. Will you stand with me?